I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Kelly. She has a panic disorder, is a domestic violence survivor, and has severe allergies. And all three of these things are related. Let's talk about it. Kelly, Kelly, all the way from the Paw, or the Pass, or La Pass, La Paw, who fucking, who fucking, I mean, you, you know, I do you know, I think we know, <laughs> but I mean, if it wasn't for Kelly telling me, I most certainly wouldn't, no, you most certainly would not, that's true, uh, Kelly, we're going to talk about something that we haven't really touched on in a little bit, it's, I think it's been a while since we've like t- taken a real deep dive on panic attacks, mm-hmm. and uh, holy shit, you are no stranger to those, uh, that is, True. I am definitely no stranger to them. I have, um, yeah, I've been suffering from panic attacks and a, a panic disorder for the last um, six years. So mm-hmm. now, now in the last the last six years, and and at the like at the peak, mm-hmm. like when I think about when I think about panic attacks, I've probably only had maybe one or two in my life, mm-hmm. and thinking about having more than one in a day is like, that That almost gives me a panic attack. But when you were like at your peak, how many panic, panic attacks are we talking? Like how familiar with panic, panic attacks are we talking? Yeah, so I would have, at the peak of my disorder, I would have approximately six to 10 a day. And it was, um, it was emotionally draining to have all of those panic attacks a day. Oh, shit. Yeah, I suppose um, to say the least, yeah. What what is a uh, what, like describe a panic attack because I feel like over the past few years especially I, in in I I guess probably more so in like the last ten years but maybe in the last five years is like mental health has sort of made its way much more into the mainstream has mm. become more common to talk about it so then you then see it portrayed more in like pop culture and like television and things like that mm-hmm. what is it what is what does a panic look like for you? And then how does that differ to the way that maybe sometimes it's portrayed in pop culture? Sure. So for a panic attack for me, um, my typical first symptoms are my heart starts beating incredibly fast. Um, my palms get really sweaty. My whole body starts to kind of um, shake a little bit. Um, I It's hard to focus on anything. My thoughts start to really race. Um, very quickly. I pace around rooms. Um, It's just that really sense of anxiety or fear that something is going to happen that's really, really bad, and it manifests in my entire body. Um, In pop culture, I feel like I haven't seen too many examples of this in pop culture. I read a lot, and in the last couple of books I've read, there has actually been a couple of um, instances of characters having panic attacks. 
And I do really like to see it in pop culture and in media that I consume because I feel so represented in uh, like seeing, you know, when there's an yeah. accurate portrayal of, of what I feel. Mm-hmm. And panic attacks aren't, aren't uncommon. You know, you, all three of you guys have probably had one in your life, um, but it's not common to have so many, right? Yeah. But yeah, that's that's what uh, panic attack is like. What, what's a what's a book that you read recently that uh, that depicted a panic attack that you were like, ooh, nailed it? Yeah. Um, oh my goodness, I feel like I just read one. Um, one last stop. It's a romance by Casey McQuinston. Um, really fantastic. It had LGBT um, representation in it. Um, some mental health issues were brought up in that book. Um, it was incredible, incredible read. Cool. Sweet. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I also noticed in your write-up that you really like talking about books. Specifically, it said that uh, things I do not shut up about are dinosaurs, whatever current book I'm reading, TikTok, death and dying and mental health. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Kelly, um, I'm curious in terms of like the intensity of panic attacks and uh, the panic attacks that you've experienced and maybe, maybe we can sort of like start to get into like when this all started for you, but in terms of like the intensity, like when you have six to 12 panic attacks a day, like how does the, what is like the range of intensity in those experiences mm-hmm. like? Yeah. Um, every single one makes me feel like I'm dying. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. I, I, so super intense. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah. It'll start with a little bit of anxiety about whatever it is. Typically what triggers these for me are things that have to do with my body. So for example, an asthma attack, um, allergies, like, um, that's a huge one for me, but what starts it is typically something is wrong with my body and it very quickly escalates to, Oh my God, I'm dying in this situation. Right. Um, yeah. And that will cause me to completely break down. Um, I'll cry. I will, I mean, I've gone to the hospital several times for these because, um, I can't calm myself down Mm -hmm. and sometimes at my worst, well, the the worst I've ever had, I, well, this is getting real deep real quick here, guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's good. We um, like that. Yeah. yeah. That's the way we like it. (laughs) Um, The worst one I ever had brought me to the hospital because I felt like I could not stop the panic attack unless I killed myself. Oh, Mm. wow. Yeah, so that brought me in straight away. Holy, Um, is suicidal ideation common in panic attacks? Do you know, like, like that? I think that's the first time I've ever heard someone um, express that. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. For me, yes, that's something that comes up a lot when I have a lot of panic attacks. Is I feel really down and let down on myself for even having them Mm. in the first place. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's a sign that I've, I've failed in my mental health journey is, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I have a panic attack, it's like, cool, I'm back at stage one, great. And I get really upset and down about myself. But also that feeling when I'm in a panic attack that something really bad is going to happen, um, that triggers this feeling of either I'm going to die or I can't handle this feeling anymore. I cannot handle the way that I feel inside my body anymore. Mm. And that's when those thoughts start to come up. Do, do you like knowing this and, and having dealt with this for six years, which is a pretty significant, significant mm-hmm. period of time. Have you um, like come up with a series of 
uh, suggestions that you have given to the people in your life so that in case you have a panic attack, you know, your best friend or your family member or whoever um, knows to like show up for you in a certain way. Like, let's say, right, let's, please don't, but, but also if, if it happens, it happens. But if you start having a panic attack right now, like what could three strangers like us do over Zoom to at least, <laughs> at least like give a sliver of help? Um, <laughs> kind of doing it right now. Uh, I find distraction is a huge one. Right. And my fiance is getting to be fantastic at this. The last time I had a bad panic attack, um, we were going to bed and it just came on really suddenly, like something in a show we were watching triggered me. And we went to the living room and he started giving me Harry Potter trivia. He had it loaded up on his phone and he's like, okay, Kelly, answer all of these questions. What a Harry Potter <laughs> trivia. And honestly, it was fantastic. Um, the other thing that really helps is calling somebody and talking to somebody. So mm. sometimes um, when I have a panic attack and my partner can't calm me down, I'll call my mom and just, or my best friend and being on the phone with them, just having to listen to what they're saying and then think about my response calms me down very quickly. W- would that mm. be considered co-regulation? Do you know? I'm not entirely familiar with what the term would mean. So I don't want to say like, yes, for sure. That's what it is. Sure. Um, But yeah, absolutely. Like um, I depend quite a bit on other people to help me in those situations. It's hard. It's incredibly hard for me to calm down on my own. Mm -hmm. Is, um, is, I'm sure there's a lot of, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people, a lot of people that are, that, that are like pain, like, trying to, if they haven't experienced a panic attack, like trying to really like kind of wrap their heads around, uh, mm-hmm. around what it is. And, and something that we, you know, at least the three of us try to do for sure. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners do with, with, um, when they're listening to the stories of people, uh, uh, from people that are, are dealing or have dealt with something that they've n- never had an experience with and trying to relate in some way and think about like, what is the, like, what's the closest experience that I've had that can somehow kind of like reach out and try to make a connection with the experience of the person that we're talking with. And it, and in that sense is, is a panic attack anxiety just briefly cranked to like maximum overdrive? Like, is it, is it, it you know, cause I, I, I know anxiety. I don't mm-hmm. have anxiety. I don't have an anxiety disorder, but I know the feeling of anxiety for a day or for like a week Um, and like, is it, is it that base foundational kind of sensation just totally cranked up to maximum? Yes, that is exactly how I would put it. Um, your, um, you might feel anxiety. I don't know, maybe if you're stressed out about an upcoming test or you're about to speak publicly or something like that, like that kind of fear that you get right beforehand, right before you're about to go on stage or write your test or whatever, but to a level where that is the only thing that is in your brain. That is the only thing you can think about. That is the, the only thing that, um, yeah, that you can really focus on at all. And it just mm-hmm. completely takes over your body. Mm-hmm. That's a very good way of putting it. I think what's most, what's kind of most interesting about anxiety and, and, and I've experienced this on the level that I've experienced anxiety, which, you know, relatively is, is fairly low is the physical manifestation 
of it. And I know that that's, you know, um, like the feeling of anxiety is cranked up to maximum with panic attacks. Like the way that this mental thing becomes quickly such a physical thing, Mm -hmm. you know, even with, even with fairly low level anxiety, like I'll find myself pacing or, um, or, you know, tapping or, you know, just like that feeling in your chest to just feel overwhelmed. And I, I, I've, I've always just been, I don't really have like a question here. I'm just kind of an observation that it just is so interesting to me how it becomes so such a physical thing when its foundation is mental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I find it, uh, Kelly, to, to be honest, I, I find it a bit um, challenging to know with like what questions to ask you or, or like where to go in this conversation because, because not because I can't understand this, but because I have a really intimate experience with this and <laughs> it's hard for me because like I'm sitting here like feeling a lot of emotions connected to the experience that I've had in the past with this. And so I want you to know that I, I understand <laughs> like what, what it's like, but it's kind of hard for me to sit here. He understands, and, but if he just and, shuts the fuck up for the next like forty five <laughs> minutes, just know that it's not you; and, it's him. And and I also i i want to i want to share that with you, but because of the boundaries of the sort of relationship that I have in which which this exists, I can't talk about it, or yeah, I don't feel comfortable talking about it on the podcast. But I just want you to know that I understand in ways pro- probably more than than I can tell you right now. Not but, more than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's, it's not a competition about, like it's, yeah. it's it's hard to bring it up because um mm-hmm. y- even just having this conversation makes me almost want to cry because of how many yeah. times I felt so um you know so anxious so uh hopeless in this so mm-hmm. uh, yeah I can understand how you're feeling too Brian. Yeah. yeah and when you talk about um you know suicidal ideation um I know that you're you're not alone in that experience, and I know that that's actually quite common. And mm-hmm. when panic attacks can get really intense, and and I understand that because it is like, and like Tilly, you said it, it's like this physical manis- manifestation of this like really intense anxiety. And yeah, like when that goes on for a prolonged period of time, it's easy to understand why somebody, you know, would struggle with the idea of like wanting to continue experiencing um, that emotion. So I know like from my experience that it's, it is really helpful to have these sort of like, Jerry, you asked the question about sort of like tactics or like things that you can do to like mm-hmm. help try to, to manage the sort of snowballing of the feelings that you're getting. And, um, I think that Harry Potter trivia is a really fucking cool, <laughs> cool <laughs> idea. It makes me wonder, are you good at Harry Potter trivia or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all so, seven books five times so um i know that i know that you know what led to the diagnosis of of the panic attacks and the panic disorder um it's it's quite a like interesting cocktail of events and and situations um uh one of the things that you had kind of stated in your in your application was that um, you, you live with panic attacks. It's something you've been dealing with for six years. Um, you also have intense allergies and you also have, uh, excused, uh, uh, experienced a really abusive relationship. And those two things, allergies and, and, and domestic violence sort of like 
coalesce into what it is that you're you're dealing with right now. Um, maybe maybe let's take us back to you know that six years ago time frame and run us through like where where did this all begin? How did this how did this all start? Sure. So yeah, about six years ago, I was in my third year of university, I believe, and um, I was in a relationship with a person who. Um, yeah, it was not the best to me at all. Um, he, we both happened to take a break from our studies at the university for about a year. And for a few months, um, we were traveling through Europe. So we were just backpacking, like figuring out where we wanted to go as we were going. Sounds like your cat didn't like him either. No, no, it's totally okay. I'm all for those distracting noises in the background. It's yeah. I, it just adds a little bit of ambiance. It's great. He's, he's so loud. Um. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, we decided to take about a four month ish trip to Europe. Yeah, backpacking, just figuring out where we want to go on the fly. We ended up in spending a lot of time in Amsterdam and the Netherlands. And it was, I mean, the place is beautiful and amazing and I would love to go again. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, when I was in Amsterdam, wow, he's having a hard time over there. Um, <laughs> uh, when I was in Amsterdam, we ended up stopping at like a bakery and grabbing a couple of treats and I ate them. Um, not really realizing what was in them. So at the time, I oh, didn't really realize that I had so many allergies my entire life up to this point. I could eat whatever whatever the hell I wanted, like um, pretty much anything. Apples and almonds would sometimes give me a bit of an itchy mouth, but it wasn't really something that I was concerned about or scared about. Mm. So I was in Amsterdam. I grabbed some um, mac macaroons because they looked so cool and I had never tried one before. Yeah. And I ate one right away being super pumped about it. And then my mouth started to feel really weird. And my, my ex-partner asked the person working at the bakery, like, Hey, are there any, like, what's in this? And he said, Oh, they're, they're made with almonds. Like it's almond flour. And yeah. I was like, shit, that might not be good. <laughs> And uh, all of a sudden, my mouth started to feel really bad. I started to um, throw up, like projectile vomiting everywhere. Oh, so wow. up on the streets of Amsterdam. And we didn't know where the hell a hospital was going to be or how to get to one or anything like that. So we ended up going into this really posh office building. I'm, I honestly have no idea what they did in there, but it was really nice. And... <laughs> I don't know why that was the place we chose to go into. It was just nearby, I guess. I threw up all over the floor and they ended up calling me a taxi and uh, to go to the hospital, not an ambulance, a taxi. <laughs> and the taxi arrives and it's like this lovely black Mercedes with, you know, this amazing guy in a suit opening the door for us and stuff. And he drives us as fast as he can to the hospital. And yeah, it turns out I was having a really bad allergic reaction to the almonds in the pastry. Whoa. That's crazy because I had like almost the exact same experience in Amsterdam, really? except I went to a bakery and ate something and didn't realize that I was going to have a hallucinogenic reaction to it. <laughs> it was actually space. I, I mean, that, the whole time I was like, every everyone in that office building was going, the poor girl ate too many mushrooms. Yes, a hundred percent. And uh, yeah. uh, I probably wasn't uh, coherent enough to think I needed to go to the 
to the hospitals. But yeah, that's I think where our stories probably deviate Classic a little bit. Classic North American <laughs> yeah, in Amsterdam. Yeah. No, they usually tell you that they're giving you truffles before you eat them. Yeah, <laughs> they usually do, Bri. They usually tell you. <laughs> Maybe they did. <laughs> I think they did. I have a sneaking suspicion. Anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they took me to the hospital. I was fine. I got an IV with a whole bunch of uh, drugs and I was so dizzy afterwards that I could barely walk back to our hotel and stuff like it was um, quite the experience. And after that, that really triggered um, me trying to find out everything I was allergic to <laughs> because sometimes I would eat something and have a reaction that I was not expecting. Mm, right. So that that really triggered this next year of intense panic attacks around food. Food was, and still is kind of scary to me. Um, I, um, I got back from that trip around Christmas time and I was at my grandparents' house for Christmas and we were sitting around the table for Christmas supper and I knew everything that was on my plate. I had eaten everything before at my grandma's house. And I couldn't bring myself to eat any of it. And I just sat on a stair in my grandma's house and cried that Christmas. And it was um, horrible. So for about a year, I was not eating much of anything. That that, that experience at, at your grandma's house, when, when like obviously you're not able to eat anything and you're sitting there crying, um, what was the conversation like with your family? Um, difficult. I you know, my mom, I think, came to see how I was doing. And I told her that I was scared I ate something that I was allergic to, because for a long time, those were panic attacks, and I wasn't calling them what they were. I was Mm -hmm. constantly terrified that I had eaten something that I was allergic to, and I was dying. And that would trigger like this huge panic attack. So yeah, I would say, um, you know, I just have to take some Benadryl or I need an allergy med and I'll be okay. Um, And they kind of left me alone. But it was hard because I wanted to participate in Christmas supper with everybody, you know, and I was gone for the last how many months. So, um, yeah, it felt like I was failing everyone there. Yeah, I I mean, like the food thing is so hard because like food Mm -hmm. is... You know, it's like, it's one of the most, it's one of the most like, like pleasurable and cherished things that we have as humans. Like we, it's, we like several times a day, we take time to just pause and, and fill ourselves with something that like brings us good feelings and, and, you know, it's like, it's, I mean, it's the only thing that I can think about that on a daily basis, we, we, we go out of our way to enjoy. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, this one thing that we partake in several times a day, every single day, you know, if you put a sense of fear behind that thing that not only brings, brings you a, a, a feel, a, a feeling of like wholeness and, and goodness and, and pleasure, but also the a thing that is like required to continue to live, you know, like it's so important for just keeping us going. I it's I mean it's so hard for me to sit here and imagine how especially when fucking it's like, shitty that would when be it's something that um like eating at restaurants. 
Yeah. Like as opposed to eating, you know, making your own food. Yeah. You know, you can make your own food and you can make and and people that you, you know, you making people making meals, you know, friends making meals for you is another is like another thing. Like a there's like a little loss of control there and then going out to dinner is like another loss of control. Yeah. Like Kyla's mom is allergic to MSG and like MSG is like a lot of times not it's not an ingredient that they're adding. It's like an ingredient of an ingredient. Yeah. So like and you're kind of like, is there MSG in this thing? And then they're like, no. And then goes to a restaurant and next thing you know, and then yeah. like 20 minutes after eating, it's like, I need to throw up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's that. That's how that is. Yeah. It's a hard thing about like eating disorders too. Is yeah, that like totally. it, 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 like because the social aspects of eating are so, you know, but I remember there was a, a campaign at the superstore they had recently where it was like, enjoy meals we should enjoy meals together more but like a lot of people have anxiety around eating in front of other people so it's like yeah it is a really nice social thing but also there's a lot of people who yeah. you know sh- struggle with that um, which really sucks kelly is was was it um was it rooted was your fear and the panic attacks that ensued from that like was was that rooted in um like was that in, in was that ultimately like justified by continued experience of allergic reactions or was it rooted in that one experience in Amsterdam that just kind of kicked off this foundation of of just fearing that that would happen again? Uh, both. Um, it was definitely that one situation that started it. Um, I did get some allergy testing done shortly after I came back. And it did turn out that I was allergic to a lot of things. Um, All nuts now are a complete no-go. Like um, some fruits and vegetables, like apples, carrots, and celery are are a complete no-go as well. Unless they're cooked, then that's fine Um, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, Crab, like shellfish, um, too, is another one. Um, And I don't eat meat anymore either because that gives me a lot of problems as well. So there's a lot of... Yeah, it's it's kind of it was both, and so you would feel like okay, I'm I'm fine. It was just that one time where everything was really bad, and then I would eat something again that would trigger that all over again, where my mouth would feel funny, and again like that something happening to my body just um, sets off that cascade of panic. Right. So it's yeah. not so so it's not really necessarily that the allergic reaction is in and of itself this huge danger. It's more like the the feeling that it's that something's happening to you and the fear that that sort of I guess starts to like snowball as a result as a result of that happening yeah for a long time I felt like there was always a lump in my throat so I was scared that um you know I was gonna have anaphylaxis or something mm-hmm. and um I need help so yeah um I'm, I'm really curious about how like when when I hear you talking about your experience and like you're talking in a very like rational way like this is what happens to me and this is how I experience it but obviously like when you're going through it it's harder to you know sort of step back and rationalize like well okay like you know how sick how allergic am I actually gonna be to this thing or whatever like as soon as the panic attack starts it's it's sort of like out of your control but what is that experience like for you, like speaking rash, rationally, rationally about it while it's not happening versus when it is happening. Oh, completely different. Absolutely different. Like 
during like right now, yeah, I can sit here and tell you guys, like I was, I'm not allergic to rice. And yet sometimes when I would eat something like that, it would, it would trigger this. Um, but during a panic attack, it is extremely hard to get anything rational through my head. You know, my mom or my partner or my best friend will sit there and say like, you know, Kelly, you are completely fine. You know, your, your mouth is fine. You can breathe. You're okay. And yet that will do nothing to calm me down. It is 100% still going on in my body, in my head. Like I, it doesn't work. I just Mm. lose all rational thinking. That's the thing I think that is like where like a lot of the stigma is rooted around people under like, especially, um, you know, our support systems in life who support people going through panic attacks. It's really hard for those people to understand Mm -hmm. what it's like because, you know, when you can rationally speak about it and rationally understand it, but then, and, and they can sort of say to you like, these things aren't, aren't happening. But at the same time, like in, from your, in your reality, they are happening. It's really hard to try to like under, I guess, understand that and be supportive in those situations because it's, so hard to put yourself in the shoes of a person who's going through that if you haven't experienced it mm-hmm. I, still th- I still think it's good to offer up some type of like so the like the the intention of 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 trying to latch on to some rash of rationality in the absence of it because I know that when I feel anxious i'm I'm trying to tell my brain to to go back to what I know it's normally doing. Mm. which is really hard and sometimes impossible. But I'm always like, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to go, I know you weren't thinking like this yesterday. (laughs) This wasn't your thought train yesterday. What was that thought yesterday? That thought was that. And that made, and I'm trying to, so, so I think that there's definitely a problem with, with the, with the, with people being like, it's not that like, that's not what's happening. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like being a fucking asshole about it. Um, I think there's probably a helpful way of, of, of offering up the, the offering up, uh, the rationale that might help, but, uh, and also in, within the understanding that in a state of anxiety or, you know, in, in the, in the more extreme case of like a panic attack, how understanding how yeah. utterly cha- there's a difference between, there's a difference between like dismissive. Yeah. languaging and and reassuring yeah. languaging and in know? the and in the event of a panic attack and you tell me if, in, uh, i'm assuming rationality is probably not helpful in any way shape or form it's probably that's probably a few rungs down the totem pole of priority in a um, panic attack yes and no um your what you're talking about sounds a lot like what my mom would talk about when she would tell me that she was struggling to support me sometimes when i would have a panic attack she didn't know what to say or what to do to calm me down. And it took a long time for us to figure out what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is something that she said was like, you know, Kelly, I can, I can tell you that you're okay. And I can tell you all those things. Um, but it's hard when you don't believe them. And I think what does help, what does work for me is you, you can tell me those things, you know, Kelly, you are safe. You are fine. You will be okay in a kind way. Yeah, that's the reassurance, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and in a continuous way um, Mm. so that I don't feel belittled for for feeling the way that I am or dismissed Mm -hmm. or that you're fine, Kelly, get over it. Um, But instead, yeah, reassuring and Mm. helpful. Mm. helpful Yeah, Yeah. and the the other thing too is like, um, you know, 
the things that work for people when it comes to panic attacks, it, it's very individualistic. Mm-hmm. Like there's obviously things that you can do that, that, you know, will help a group of people, but like the things that will actually work for a specific person are things that like require a lot of communication. Mm-hmm. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. Did you ever get a like a solid sort of list of like grocery list of of what not to ingest? You know, like did did you ever find out? All right, these are the things that I am one hundred percent assuredly allergic to, and everything else is fine. Yes, um, so all nuts, <laughs> all of them, um, all tree nuts, uh, peanuts, all of them. Um, like I said, apples, celery, carrots. I have something called um, oral allergy syndrome. So I'm actually allergic to birch trees. That's the biggest problem. I am highly allergic to birch trees. And what happens when I eat some, some foods is there's a protein in them that is the same as what's in birch pollen. And my body thinks that it's birch pollen and goes nuts. So um, that's, that's the biggest issue. <laughs> so, Ooh. yeah. So if those things are cooked, they're fine because it destroys that protein. Um, but if they're raw, absolutely not. So yeah, hmm. nuts, apples, celery, carrots. Um, I can't remember what else there is on that list. Like raw potatoes. I can't peel potatoes without my hands getting hives. Hmm. Um, and I don't eat wheat because I get severe stomach problems. Right. Yeah. I have a list here of, uh, if you have, um, uh, what did you call it? Oral, uh, Oral allergy, allergy syndrome. Yeah. yeah. It's quite a, it's, it's quite a list. Almonds, apples, apricots, carrots, coriander, celery, cherries, fennel, hazelnuts, kiwi, nectarines, parsnips, peaches, pears, peppers, plums. What's your, what's your like process with, um, with, um, like determining what, I mean, I mean, is it just, is it just a really rigorous, uh, like really, really close look at, at, at everything is like just putting everything under a microscope to make sure, I mean, that, that you're not consuming, consuming anything that's going to, you know, harm you. Everything. Um, I'm very careful about what I eat, what, you know, we have in the house. Like I, we don't even have a jar of peanut butter in this house. I don't think, um, you know, we're very, very careful about everything. Um, I make most of my own food and it's not very often that we go out to eat. And when I do, I stick to pretty much the same things every time, just because I don't want to, um, you know, veer away from that and then get mm. sick. Um, yeah. It's it, I, like, it must be such a, um, such a process to get into that habit of knowing, the things that you need to avoid, like, especially developing an allergy later in life, like you did, you know, like I, 
I, I'm this new medication that I'm on. I'm not allowed to have anything, any grapefruit. And last night I was sitting on the couch watching a, watching a movie with my partner. And I'm just chugging a fucking grapefruit, um, oh, bubbly. Fuck. And like oh, yeah. half, halfway through the can, I, I just, I just look at the can and I spit it back in the can and I go, fuck, I can't drink this. Is that, is, are you not allowed to drink that? I don't think it might be artificial flavoring. It, it might yeah. be. It says natural flavoring on it. So, yeah. so, so uh, a- yeah, anyway, maybe. I mean, again, it was like, you know, this is so yeah. new for me. So I, I just, right, I wasn't yeah. thinking, you know, yeah. how, does uh, it, how does it affect, like, how does it affect just like the way that you, in, that you, that you interact with others? Cause like people are weird about food. Yeah. Like food, just weird to a lot of people. Food, just weird. Wait, what do you mean? Wait, food weird. weird in, in mean, people are weird about food in the sense that like when you eat a certain way, you know, unless you're going to spell it out for them that I am like this with the menu or the ingredients or whatever because I have this, I have allergies and blah, 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 blah. Like, unless you spell that out for somebody, some people people just feel weird about the way that other people eat. Mm. People get offended by the way that other people eat. Because I get they, offended by the way because you they eat. They yeah, think, yeah, me too. Because they think that the way that you, the way your choices to eat differently than the way that I eat is an offense, is a is a knock on how I eat. Like yeah. people's egos are very much like that. So that's like, not my problem with you, but yeah. Yeah, I know. You don't my, like the way that I chew my food. Okay. I'm offended by the way you just don't close your fucking mouth. Okay, I get yeah, it. Get it. I get yeah. it. I don't like the way I chew. Do you okay. get it? Yes, I do get it. All right, good. I'm not changing, but I get it. <laughs> and so they, does that ever cause any does that any cause like any friction in the in that sense? Like in like the social sense that where you know with fucking weirdness yeah. in food? <laughs> Yeah, it comes up a lot. Um, I'm really lucky that I have a very strong support group and a very close group of friends that, you know, they've been with me since the very beginning of this. So they really understand whenever we go out to eat and stuff, but it, uh, you know, it still sucks when it happens. Um, One of my friends is amazing. And every time we go out somewhere, she'll grab the waitress and go, this girl, she's allergic to this, this, and this, and you better make sure that this has nothing in it. And I really appreciate that because I, I hate having to speak up for myself like that at restaurants. I think sometimes you're right, Taylor, like people do get weird about it. If I say like, oh, I don't eat, I don't eat wheat. They'll go, well, is that an allergy or a preference? And it just, you know, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't eat it. So, (laughs) um, don't put it in there. Um, work is a little bit weird too, because people love to bring treats to my office and I'll, you know, there'll be a package of donuts or something in the staff room and somebody will come to me and say, Kelly, do you want one? And I'll say, no, I I can't eat that. And, um, they'll say, are you sure? How about just a little bit? Like, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. right? Yeah, right. We had my my come uh, on, just eat it. Come I, on. My my massage therapist. Uh, uh, he was over last night, and um, and he in in December he he makes chocolates for every for all of his clients, and they're fucking wow. incredible, dude. Like, can I, like, can I like give a, dozen, a dozen each for Kyle and I? They're like these mini butterscotchy Bring in two of them. Crisps. Bring in two of them for they're us. like mini yeah. coffee crisps. Dude, they're so fucking good. Anyway, so he brings them over, and uh, and I'm 
at home. I'm alone. I'm at home alone when he when he comes over and and um, and Kyla comes later. Does he feed and them to you dude, while he massages? No, he doesn't. No, this is not it's that kind of massage for somebody. That's not part of the deal for somebody who's just not a bougie guy. To have a massage therapist as coming to your house, bringing gets. handmade chocolates. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is next level shit. Well, oh dude, I mean, it's, not, it's only like, it's only like an extra 15 he bucks. He only for comes over for a scalp massage as well. And, uh, and, uh, oh, right. Cause a, you don't tip massage therapist too. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and he, <laughs> and so, so he comes over, he brings the chocolates and they're incredible. And then Kyla comes home and when he's, when he's leaving, uh, we're talking about these chocolates. I'm like, oh my God, they're so fucking good. And Kyla is vegan and she just feels horrible that she would have to ask him about the, about the ingredients because she doesn't want it to be like an offense on him to go like, oh, I can't eat this thing that you've clearly put effort and he makes them himself like time and effort into. And so he leaves, she doesn't ask. And I didn't think to ask. And so, and then Kyle's sitting there like, do you think there's milk in them and everything? And I'm like, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm fucking, dude, I can't <laughs> You're tell. probably like, yeah, definitely. I was like, definitely, definitely then... tastes like milk. More for me. <laughs> um, I, I would like to, um, kind of taking it back to the panic disorder, mm-hmm. something that I'm really curious about. And, and you know, if you're willing to go there and, and talk about it to, to whatever length you're, you're comfortable with, um, uh, you knowing that you're a domestic abuse survivor mm-hmm. and knowing that this, you know, the allergy situation in Amsterdam happened with this abusive partner yeah. um, and, and having to like navigate how to deal with a panic disorder whilst being in a, an abusive relationship. Like how, how did that, I can only imagine that that made things um, a lot more challenging you know, in, 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 in terms of trying to, it's like you, you, you get this new disorder, you, you have a panic, you, you're having panic attacks. You have to like, there's so much, there's so much self, um, education that you need to, to embark on. There's so much, uh, there's, there's so much like, yeah, introspection and, and, thought that needs to be put into this thing that is now like taking over your life. Mm-hmm. But at the exact same time, you're dealing with an abusive relationship. Like how, how did that play a role in the panic attacks? And, you know, in, in retrospect, now looking back on it, how much do you think that had an effect on um, where you are today with, with your panic attacks? Yeah, I think it had a huge effect on my panic attacks. Um, a lot of that relationship, especially towards the end, um, it was both emotionally and physically abusive. So um, yeah, I was going through this, having panic attacks all the time. And often my ex was the exact opposite of helpful. Mm. Um, If I had a panic attack, he would typically um, yell at me for you know, potentially hours on end, depending on the day, um, telling me that I was stupid and I should just get over it. And I'm never going to amount to anything. And your anxiety is going to take over your life and you're a piece of trash and, you know, just on and on and on for hours. And so, yeah, that would, 
that stress uh, would bring about more panic attacks. And it right. was incredibly hard to, um, to deal with that when at the same time, like I was, um, I was very literally fighting for my life in that relationship. And um, yeah, towards the end, I started to see a counselor, a therapist, um, one of the first that I had seen in the last six years. And they, um, they helped me more. I went in for the panic attacks and for the anxiety, and they ended up helping me more with how to get out of my relationship because hmm. I knew that it was bad and I knew that it was causing issues in my life, but I didn't associate abuse with what was going on until I sat down in my counselor's office one day and I explained what was going on with myself and my anxiety. And I explained, you know, like what, what my ex-partner was acting like at home and she didn't really say too much. She pulled out a worksheet, like a piece of paper from a drawer and handed it to me. And on it, it said, um, I had abuse in big letters in the middle. And then it kind of had like little branches going out with different types of abuse. And then it would have examples of types of abuse. So like emotional abuse, like gaslighting or, um, you know, whatever different examples. And it wasn't until I looked at that page and went, holy shit, he does almost everything on this page. Like, right. you know, everything. And um, that's when that really connected for me that that was what I was going through. And, uh, and very shortly after that, I got myself out of that relationship. Um, and from then on, it's been mostly positive growth. I mean, I think everyone has, you know, ups and downs when they're, when they're dealing with mental health, mental illness. Um, and that definitely happened, but at my worst, it was 100% when I was still stuck in that relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, making that realization must've been really tough. Um, in terms of getting out of that relationship, what was what was it that your counselor suggested? Like I, because I know you know through through everything that I know about abusive relationships is that oftentimes people people find themselves stuck and they and they they really don't know how to exit that situation and and oftentimes that that ends in a really really bad even worse off situation than they were in before. So how did you get out of it? How, like, what was the, what, what were some of the things that your counselor suggested to, to guide you out of that? If for, for anyone who might be finding themselves in a similar situation right now. Yeah. So, um, that's a dramatic story and, uh, my counselor didn't really help with this. I'm going to say that this particular counselor did the least for me out of all of my counselors. They were not particularly helpful. However, you know, my counselor after that was amazing and very helpful. So I'm not, you know, um, trying to say that they're a bad experience or anything like that. But anyway, mm. um, yeah, so they didn't really help. So um, hmm, I don't know how to talk about this. This is a really hard topic right now for me. I'll just preface this. And what I'm about to say you know, for any listeners or whatever, it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about, um, about physical violence and it's, um, not, not pretty or fun. So at the very end of my relationship, it was in a December 
and I was finishing my second last round of exams at the University of Saskatchewan. And um, I had an exam like in two days or whatever, and I was studying for it. Um, I have an archeology span degree, so I was studying osteology at the time, so the study of bones. And the night before, um, my partner had a bit of an episode. He was screaming at me, it lasted for hours. He, he had a handgun in, um, in a safe in his bedroom, in our bedroom that we shared at our apartment. Um, he, he locked me up, he locked both of us up into a bedroom and, uh, kept saying like he had his gun with him and he was threatening to use it on both of us. He took away my phone. You know, he made me promise not to call 911 promise not to, um, tell my friends or my family or anything like that. He made me promise to never talk to my friends again. And I, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm still here, guys. I don't, mm -hmm. because I cannot remember what I did to get out of that situation. It is, it is blacked out in my mind. I don't mm -hmm. know. He, but he did eventually put it down. I made it until the next day. And the next day, I told him that I was going to go to the university to study, um, that I needed to be at the bone lab to study because that was my exam. I packed up all my stuff, like not all of my stuff, but like my, my backpack, my laptop, my textbooks, whatever. And I went to the university very early in the morning and I called my two best friends and I said, you need to come here right now. And they, they met me at the university and I told them what had happened the night before. And I told them, um, they had a, they had a bit of an idea about what I was going through at the time, but not everything because I was really embarrassed and scared to, to say what was happening. Um, so, you know, and my ex was going through some issues on his own and I didn't want to seem like the person who just walked away or didn't care about him enough, but you know, he was doing these things to me that are not okay. Um, anyway, so I was at the university and I got my best friends and they said, okay, we're getting you out today. We're going to have a plan. So um, we waited until the evening and I had one of my ex's friends invite him over so he would be out of the apartment. My friends, my friends waited outside of his apartment in a different vehicle that they wouldn't recognize and waited until the lights were out and he was out of the building. Then I went in, grabbed all of my stuff, like as much as I could into bags, um, got my two cats packed up and all their stuff packed up and, um, and left and jumped into their vehicle. And I stayed the night at my friend's house and I, I couldn't stay the night in my best friend's house because he knew where that was. And sure enough, he showed up and they, you know, started throwing stuff at her window and they had to call the police to, um, because he was trying to break in. And, um, yeah, so I wrote my exam the next day. Whoa. Oh my God. <laughs> Did you, you know? nail it? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, 
Bones and Harry Potter. You can't fucking stop this woman. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the next day, my dad, because my family doesn't didn't live in that city, my dad came from the pod, drove the six hours, picked me up. We stayed in a hotel that night, and then I went back to the pod with them so that I was completely out of the city. So he could not find me. He kept messaging me and trying to get a hold of me. And, uh, yeah, I just wouldn't let him. Wow. So that that is how I got out of that situation. I Holy fuck. Yeah, I owe a lot of my life now to my very best friends for getting me out of that. I mm-hmm. think anyone who is in that kind of situation, what I could tell them is to, you know, I think if you, if a friend came to you with this kind of, with this kind of stuff, you might say, you need to get out. You need to get out. You need to break up with them. And it's, it's not necessarily that easy because just leaving and walking away could put you in a lot of danger mm. or it might, put you in danger just to say like, Hey, um, you know, I think our relationship should end like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very dangerous. So I think if, if somebody ever comes to you and says that this is what's going on, the best thing, this is just my personal opinion is to create some concrete steps with them to make a plan to get out. And that might look like going physically with them to their house to pull out belongings Mm -hmm. physically Mm -hmm. with them to set up like a, a bank account in a different name or, or, you know, or like just a different bank or whatever, right. you know what I mean? Like um, just so that you have those resources to actually get away and just yeah. be physically with them. I think that's the important part. Wow. Yeah. You I, said, you said that you owe a lot to your friends and no doubt like your friends were obviously stepped up, but I mean, you owe a lot to yourself too, to have the strength to, to go to them and to make that call on that day so yeah yeah what a fucking so so fucking wild and we we're so glad that um that you did get out and mm-hmm. and you know just to know that it i'm so sorry that you had to go through that and that's that's really awful yeah i um, think that's um like something i struggle with even now um brian is that i i have a hard time coming to terms with like being happy that i'm i'm still here because a lot of me goes, how come I'm not that statistic, you know, that, you know, was hurt and, and didn't mm-hmm. make it through this kind of situation. And I, mm-hmm. um, I tend not to take, I guess, the credit or, or be proud of myself for doing that because I just feel like I feel so lucky because yeah. there's so many women who don't get out of those kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did, um, in the aftermath of, leaving the relationship that you were in and in the context of your, your panic attacks, what does the, what does the, the road look like after that in how you, cause I know that you, you went from uh, like a t- half a dozen or more panic attacks a day to, to managing that, uh, managing that in a, in a, in a, in a pretty successful way relative to, to, you know, having several a day, how, how did, how did that change and progress after you got out of your relationship? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, it was a really up and down road. Sometimes we're better than others. Um, when I first got out of that relationship, my first focus was um, the really physical things. Where in the world was I going to live? 
how am I going to finish my last year of university? Um, you know, and looking out for myself that way first. So um, then after that, I started seeing a counselor and um, yeah, being in therapy for a while. Then I finished my university and I had my degree and I was kind of on my own, like, you know, having to find a job and um, figure out if this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life or, or what, like what the plan was after that. And so I, I moved around a little bit. I moved from, um, you know, Saskatoon to the Paw to Winnipeg and then back to the Paw again. And during that time, you know, there, again, there were ups and downs with panic attacks all the time and figuring shit out. But um, it wasn't until about three years ago that I really started to get the biggest handle on what, you know, on, on everything that was happening. And so for a few years, it was really like, maybe not 10 or six panic attacks a day, but like a couple of week kind of thing. And because that stress of being in that relationship wasn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. So I did feel a lot better. Things were definitely improving, but it was still, it was still a thing. Um, so then about three years ago, they, the panic attacks increased again. And I ended up going, um, going on medication because I started having them so severe again, that like, that was when I was in the hospital for a little while. I was, um, there for a few days in like 2018, I think. And they, my doctor had started me on a prescription uh, he started me on sertraline and after the first couple of weeks, my anxiety was through the roof. It did mm-hmm. not help at all. It was making them worse. So, um, yeah, that's why I had to go to the hospital for a little while. Mm. Um, they started me on a different medication and it, it helped everything. And I was seeing a counselor again, a different counselor, one in my hometown. And it, um, it, I just was, I was able to get it really well under control like that combination of counseling and medication did just it changed my entire life (laughs) yeah it really did and and where are you at today you you know you went from having upwards of 10 a day Mm -hmm. uh on average like how many panic attacks do you have now now um well in october i had a little bit of a bad spell because my medication was being upped and so i had about maybe two a day for a week, but now I don't think I've had one in, um, in a couple of weeks, which is oh, like, yeah. amazing. yeah, it's really good. Like I'm really <laughs> proud of myself for that. Um, That's awesome. And, yeah. <laughs> so it's been, yeah, it's way more controlled these days. Yeah. yeah. I, man, I it's just <laughs> it, like such a, such a wild story. And, um, again, it, you know, when when I read your application, just to see the 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 very like interesting elements that all kind of tied into your your panic disorders, um, it yeah, it just it it's made for such a, a fascinating conversation. And to hear that you know six years out, you're you're doing so well. It, it's we're, we're really rooting for you. It's 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 really amazing. And and of course, like hopefully, this trajectory just keeps going up. You know. Um, do you, do, do you think much about like what, like, do you have any thoughts on, on the possibility of a potential of, of one day 
putting all this behind you in a sense of like going, wow, you know, I haven't had a panic attack in three or four years. Do you think that that's, that's possible? Is, is that, is that something that's been, that's been said to you in, in counseling that like, you know, sometimes people get through the disorder that, that they go into some sort of remission or, or, uh, I don't know what, I mean, I guess remission would probably be the correct word. Um, I'm going to say no. Something I've struggled with very recently is the fact that I'll probably be on medication for, you know, years to come, Mm -hmm. if not my entire life for this, um, because we did do a bit of a medication switch a few months ago and it, it was so bad. Like being off medication was just horrible and brought everything back again. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I think, I think this is just something that I'm going to have to live with and manage for my entire life. And Mm. that's, you know, it's not a bad thing. Like a lot of it is managing things that trigger this. So not necessarily as much what I eat anymore, because I do know what things to avoid, but things like making sure that I get enough sleep Mm -hmm. (laughs) every night is a huge thing. It changes everything. Um, You know, eating three meals a day changes everything too. Like, making sure I get enough water and I'm not drinking seven cups of coffee <laughs> a day like, really, really makes a big difference. So manage yeah. those things, but Amen. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think it's going to ever be gone completely. I don't think I'm going to wake up one day and go, wow, it's been years since I've had a panic attack. Like I think part of this is just, you know, how I am and my personality and that I am, you know, high strung a little bit and, and anxious quite a lot of the time, but um, I think it can be managed really well, but it is something that I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to say goodbye to forever. Anytime. Yeah. 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 You, you have the ability to create the tools that you know will help, help, uh, yeah. help you manage those things. That's great. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the biggest thing that your panic attacks have taken away from you? Yeah. Um, I would say um, a lot of, a lot of good things I occasionally feel are ruined because of them. So like we were talking about before about going out to eat or, or my grandparents Christmas dinner, if I have a panic attack, I often feel like I am the source of, of ruining that situation of ruining that moment with my friends out for supper or whatever, like, um, and so I, I feel like it's taken away. Yes, just some of the fun in life because I'm so worried about everything all of the time. Mm-hmm. It's also taken away a little bit of uh, like a level of trust, like um, because of my abusive relationship, I don't trust necessarily as easily as I used to. And um, I'm, yeah, that, those are those are the two biggest things that it's taken away from me for sure. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Yeah, um, number one, I think, the ability to stick up for myself. I don't think I had as much of a backbone as I did before, but now, you know, I do in terms of like just myself, my mental health, like, no, I, I can't make it to this that day because I haven't had enough sleep or I've had six panic attacks or whatever it is. Like I look out for myself a lot more. Mm. And um, it's also given me an experience. It's given me this, this platform that I can speak about and relate to people with, um, especially when it comes to like my abusive relationship, the number of women that I've, I've opened up to a little bit and said, this is what's happened to me. And they've said, Hey, I actually went through something similar. I know somebody who went through Mm. something similar is crazy. And 
um, you know, I really, it's, it's given me this, this place to speak from and this place to relate to people with that I'm very appreciative. Well, we're really appreciative of you for coming on the show and, and sharing your story because it's, it's definitely one of those stories that will go on to help at least some of our listeners. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to sit down and chat with us. This really did mean a lot. Yeah, no, this means a lot to me too. Thank you so much, guys. Okay, there you have it, folks. That was our conversation with Kelly. Hope you enjoyed that. And uh, also, hope you had a really sweet, lovely holiday. Uh, We're in the year 20... uh, What year is it? The year 2022. It's too many twos. Too many twos, man. Uh, 2022, we're looking forward to a new year. And uh, if you want to support the podcast throughout the year, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcast. Uh, and even on Spotify, you can now leave a rating on Spotify. So give us a five stars over on Spotify since that's new. If you're listening over there, you can do that. And of course, on Fridays, we come at you on YouTube. If you want to follow us on YouTube, you can find us, uh, Sick Boy, on YouTube. Well, thanks, folks. Um, love you all. And again, Happy New Year. I hope you had lovely holidays. And uh, we are back in action, baby. Three episodes a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Sick Boy Podcast is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. Sound design comes at you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan, all the way over on Prince Edward Island. The theme music for this week's episode is coming to you from Take Part. Uh, and that is it for this week. Until next week, I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.